Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is Tuesday on the Three Martini Lunch. Alexander DeSanctis of National Review is in for the vacationing Jim Garrity. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today, and all of it is brought to you today by Car Shield. Alexandra, uh, our good martini is certainly music to your ears and certainly for any other uh, pro-life conservatives or even pro-life non-conservatives out there. Uh, when we're in the midst of a cancel culture and even statues of George Washington are being torn down and people want to go after Lincoln and, and, and Jefferson, somehow liberal icons usually uh, escape the gauntlet, but uh, not the case for Margaret Sanger, who deserves to be canceled, but uh, it took a while, but Planned Parenthood is actually doing something we agree with here, which might mark a uh, red letter day in, in your day planner since you cover this issue so closely. But here's the New York Times. Planned Parenthood of Greater New York will remove the name of Margaret Sanger, a founder of the national organization from its Manhattan Health Clinic because of her, quote, harmful connections to the eugenics movement, the group said on Tuesday. Ms. Sanger, a public health nurse who opened the first birth control clinic in the United States in Brooklyn in 1916, has long been lauded as a feminist icon and reproductive rights pioneer. But her legacy also includes supporting eugenics, a discredited belief in improving the human race through selective breeding, often targeted at poor people, those with disabilities, immigrants, and people of color. According to Karen Seltzer, the chair of the New York Affiliates Board, the removal of Margaret Sanger's name from our building is both a necessary and overdue step to reckon with our legacy and acknowledge Planned Parenthood's contributions to historical reproductive harm within communities of color. So... Alexandra, I'm sure you would have plenty to say about their ongoing legacy of reproductive harm, but uh, what do you make of them actually acknowledging this person there are still awards named after, and Hillary Clinton not that long ago was just effusing and gushing praise over, has been recognized as a promoter of eugenics and needs to be taken down. You know, I have to say, it's certainly great news to see this finally being recognized, but I do have to admit it's a, a little bit frustrating that it took this long, because this is something that pro-lifers have been pointing out for decades now, pointing to Margaret, you know, it's right out there in the open. She was a, a very avowed supporter of eugenics. This was not a secret. It was easy to find if you went back and read any number of things that uh, Margaret Sanger wrote. So it was pretty clear she favored eugenics. She favored it for, you know, people that she considered, I guess, uh, unfit or feeble-minded, by which she meant uh, non-white people, low-income people. Um, but this was just always papered over by Planned Parenthood. This is something for obvious reasons they didn't want to talk about. And so when pro-lifers would bring it up, Planned Parenthood supporters, Democrats, just totally ignore it, dismiss it, say you're crazy, it doesn't matter, either you know, you're know you lying or it's not important because Planned Parenthood does so many great things. But now suddenly that you know the anti-racist movement is getting going and we've got to start canceling anyone who ever did anything wrong, the pressure is on, and so they've finally buckled. And so while it's a, a great outcome uh, to see them slowly begin to recognize their terrible legacy, they do still do lots of terrible things that Margaret Sanger would love to see. And so I, really, it's not terribly exciting, um, I guess, in, in its totality, but it's a, it's a step, maybe. <laughs> yeah, if Planned Parenthood had actually changed its MO uh, from Margaret Sanger, it would probably make a, a bigger difference because they still target communities of color in, in huge percentages here. And obviously, we don't want to get away from the fact that it's a good martini, so credit where credit is due, that they are getting rid of this name and they're acknowledging Margaret Sanger's detestable legacy here. 
but do you feel like they, you know, tuck this into the whole cancel culture? So, well, if we take care of Margaret Sanger now, while everybody's uh, freaking out about so many things right now, uh, maybe some people won't notice it. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, it is, it certainly deserves to be a good martini because now we have the New York Times actually openly pointing to all these terrible things about Margaret Sanger, which is hard to believe. And people are going to uh, realize this because it's been only talked about by pro-lifers for so long. Uh, but it, it really is frustrating. It took so long. And I, I think, of course, like you said, Margaret Sanger herself wasn't even pro-abortion. So uh, yet Planned Parenthood is furthering her legacy by, um, you know, killing hugely disproportionate numbers of minority children. So it, it really is obviously a, a big problem still. There you go, Planned Parenthood. Alexander DeSancta said something nice about you. <laughs> we'll be back to the usual script very soon, trust me. <laughs> so uh, as long as you're uh, taking the lives of, what is it, over 300,000 babies a year? That's right, about 350,000. So, yep. Wow. All right, well, let's talk about even happier news than, than the fact that they're finally acknowledging uh, Margaret Sanger's legacy. Let's talk about our sponsor over at CarShield. Uh, if you've bought a car anytime, even relatively recently, you know that computer systems in cars are the new normal from electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays to dozens of sensors, but you can't really fix a lot of these new features on your own. You've got to take it into the shop where the technicians know how to do this stuff. It's not like replacing you know, your oil or a, a specific part, fixing your brakes or something like that. It's, it's very specialized and, and often the dealer's the only one who can do it. And there's never a good time for really expensive repairs. And so you want to avoid that if possible. Last time when we were talking about CarShield, I explained how our old minivan blew up and uh, we had a $5,000 repair on blown cylinders, which led to the purchase of our brand new minivan as of a year ago. Uh, and for the most part, that van has done great. But there was one incident last year where my wife and her friend were on a road trip and the touchscreen uh, screen uh, on the console just went out. And so she had to take it to the dealer and the dealer fixed it. But because it was under warranty, we didn't have to pay anything. But if the warranty had been expired and everything, uh, that could have been a massive repair. And you don't want to have to deal with that. And that's why you can avoid that if you have CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. The people at CarShield understand payment flexibility is an absolute must. Monthly plans can be customized to your needs with rates as low as $99 a month, with no long-term contracts or commitments. CarShield gives you options that others won't. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped more than 1 million customers. So drive with confidence knowing that you have coverage from America's number one auto protection company. For as low as $99 per month, you can protect yourself from surprises and even more importantly, save thousands for any repair that's covered by CarShield. Call 800-CAR-6000 and mention the code MARTINI or visit carshield.com and use the code MARTINI to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code martini. A deductible may apply. All right, Alexandra, another issue as we switch to our bad martini here is ongoing unrest in the streets. Uh, we keep hearing about uh, the Black Lives Matter protests. The media presents those as all good and peaceful. Many of those protesters are peaceful, but the non-peaceful protests are going on as well. Riots, some people might call them, and those somehow don't get the coverage. You've got folks like Brian Stelter over at CNN saying that uh, whether it's Fox or other 
less liberal outfits are, you know, hyping this up. It's not that big of a deal. They're trying to distract you from the real story that needs attention here and on and on and on. And of course, we uh, talked at length in the past few weeks about Chaz or CHOP or whatever they ended up calling it in Seattle, where uh, the lunatics started running the asylum there for a while until they actually marched to the mayor's house. Then it got wrapped up pretty quickly. But uh, Portland has, this has been going on for weeks and weeks and weeks and really kind of on a regular pattern since Trump was sworn in. Uh, Portland's just been the, the site of a lot of unrest, but it's really picking up lately. And, and now the, the federal courthouse there has been uh, threatened. And so there's a federal presence in Portland, shall we say, that's getting more attention now. And so they're the bad guys in uh, the, the minds of lots of people in the media. But the unrest in, in Portland uh, keeps going as well. The fact that those uh, that federal presence is needed there is because more property keeps getting damaged, more people keep getting hurt. And just this morning, the Portland police tweeted out, avoid the area around Southwest 3rd and Southwest Main. Portland police is aware that federal law enforcement have deployed CS gas. Hundreds of people are scattering around the adjacent streets. People are throwing projectiles and are armed with clubs, hammers, and other weapons. Avoid the area. And so, Alexandra, you don't want to see, uh, whether it's the National Guard or any other federal presence, it's, 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 it's an unpleasant picture, but federal property and other property does need to be protected. And since uh, mayors and uh, other governors and, and other people seem to have no interest in protecting property, depending on what the cause of the protesters is, uh, it's kind of a mess in Portland. It's a mess in a lot of other cities. And it's not getting any better because people refuse to do what needs to be done to restore order. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem with these federal agents being there. And what's so frustrating to me is that I have a, a really good friend who lives in Portland, and I'm hearing all these things about what's actually going on there. She uh, works near the courthouse. And um, so I, I actually hear information about what's happening on the ground. But then I go and look at the front, you know, the New York Times main website in the morning, and all they want to talk about is how, you know, critics say that it's authoritarian for Trump to be sending these federal agents. And well, okay, I mean, is that really the point here? Like what is or isn't happening in these cities? What is or isn't being done by local officials? And why is it okay for that to just continue going on with no kind of crackdown, no federal, no response of any kind? And if it ends up having to be a federal response because local people won't take care of it, then that's what's going to need to happen. And, you know, as you said, Greg, of course, a lot of these protests have been peaceful. I have no problem with that. And if there were some kind of violent response to a peaceful protest, of course, that would be a problem. But what we're talking about in Portland has now been more than 50 days of violent attacks on buildings, attacks on people, just unlivable conditions. And there has to be a response of some kind to that. That can't just be allowed to go on. What do you make of the, the locals here? They can probably differentiate between the peaceful protesters and the non-peaceful protesters. So why do they turn the blind eye to the non-peaceful protesters? I just don't understand it. I think a lot of these, you know, my theory is these progressive leaders in particular in these different cities. I mean, these are some of the most in Seattle, Portland, some of the most progressive cities in the country. And you have these officials who are terrified of the people who are going to get violent, the people who are causing these huge problems. They don't want kind of the optical challenge of um, having to put down problems coming from their own side. And I think they sort of are hoping that they can get away with waiting for it to fizzle out, not having to do anything too drastic. But I just think that's a, it's a huge mistake and you don't look good. You look good maybe to a very small fringe minority of people if you let that go on. But most people I don't think are okay with that. How big of an issue do you think this will be in the election? Uh, I, I would imagine that uh, there are plenty of people out there who don't like to see all the violence that's happening, all the canceling, all the tearing down of the founders and 
and, and that sort of thing. But uh, I don't necessarily see it being reflected in a lot of polls at this point. Uh, what, what's your assessment, especially if it keeps happening between now and November, what impact it could have on the vote? Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because I was reading this new poll just this morning from the Wall Street Journal and NBC News, and it was showing Americans have had you know a, a pretty big increase in a belief that you know there's real racism in America, that there's real racial discrimination. There's more support for taking down Confederate statues than there was two years ago. There's more support for kneeling during the national anthem. Um, but all that being said, I think you alienate even people who are starting to feel that way when you say that things like racial discrimination or injustice or racism justify violence and rioting and taking over federal courthouses. Uh, I think you know people by and large do sympathize with the views of people on the left about this issue, even independents and Republicans to some extent. Uh, but how you respond to that really matters. I think the more uh, progressives are condoning this type of behavior, uh, the more they're going to lose people who generally agree with them. Yeah, I was always under the impression that even liberals loved having safe neighborhoods and safe streets, <laughs> downtown, where they live in the suburbs, wherever. But right now, it seems like the leadership is making a calculation that it's better to just let them run wild than to actually deal with it. And I'm not sure that's good politically or just for the, the benefit of the community, because obviously destruction is not good for anyone. Yeah, you'd think so, but oh well. Let's move on to our crazy martini now, Alexandra. And Joe Biden is on his way to becoming the Democratic nominee, of course. He's racked up the delegates. Now he's got John Kasich on his side. So, I mean, really, it's almost like a, a fait accompli at this point. Once you've got John Kasich, uh, the, the whole country goes with you, right? Well, maybe not so much. But uh, Joe Biden has decided that he's going to try to make inroads into the voting public that is probably most loyal to President Trump, and that is religious conservatives. The AP says President Donald Trump's appeal to religious conservatives is a cornerstone of his political identity, but Joe Biden is a different kind of foe than Trump has faced before. One who makes faith a central part of his persona, often literally wearing it on his sleeve. In fact, Biden's practice of carrying a rosary that belonged to his late son, Beau, caught the attention of one of his Democratic presidential rivals when the two were awaiting a debate last year. That was Pete Buttigieg. Uh, so they got into this deep conversation about faith and loss, and obviously Joe Biden has dealt with a lot of loss in his life. But uh, Alexandra, in terms of making inroads with voters of faith, uh, Joe Biden, especially in the last decade, uh, has just sprinted to the, the most liberal poll possible on issues relating to definition of marriage, obviously abortion. And, and lately he said he's going to go back and sue the nuns. So uh, as, as far as contraception and Obamacare is concerned. So what do you make of his effort? And do you think he's going to make any progress? This makes absolutely no sense to me. And I, I, I get on one hand that, you know, Biden might want to appeal to some types of Trump voters, say like the white working class people, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, these sorts of states where Trump did, uh, you know, ended up winning uh, those types of voters, people who I think generally would probably be kind of attracted to the Biden platform, to him, to his his career. Uh, but going after religious conservatives is a totally different thing. And if you're going to be a, a guy like Biden, someone with the record he has of, like you mentioned, the HHS mandate, uh, not only supporting that, that contraceptive mandate when he was vice president under the Obama administration, but now saying that, uh, you know, because the Trump exemptions have won at the Supreme Court, he'll reverse them as president and, you know, make sure that all the, the Catholic nuns are covering abortion inducing drugs. Like that's just not a platform or a policy that's going to win over religious conservatives. The things that those voters care about and the reasons they back Trump are primarily the social issues, things like marriage, religious freedom, abortion. And on all those counts, Biden is just not the guy for that. And so he, while he might 
have spent decades calling himself a Catholic, and I, you know, I never want to judge what's in a man's heart, but the policies that he supports do not comport with the Catholic faith, and he does not, you know, support the types of things that actual traditional conservative Catholics care about, or, you know, even conservative evangelical Christians. So I don't know what this faith outreach team thinks they're going to be touting about him in particular, aside from carrying a rosary, but I'm not sure it's going to work too well. Well, and he's uh, shifted on taxpayer-funded abortion. He had voted for the Hyde Amendment for decades, and now he had to, was forced to flip-flop on that in the early stages of this campaign and so forth. And a- Alexandra, where are we in terms of the Catholic vote right now? And obviously it goes beyond that. We go to evangelicals and, and others who care deeply about these issues, but it's usually pretty split. And, and as far as I know, in some recent elections, it's actually tilted Democratic. So I guess you kind of have to differentiate between devout Catholics and, and those who are Catholic, but maybe don't. Uh, take those issues as uh, seriously as others. But uh, where do we stand right now with the Catholic vote on those issues? How much does it matter? Yeah, the Catholic vote, it's a pretty complex historical um, issue that you can trace. There's lots to read and lots to say about its history in the U.S. But I think um, what you're really looking at when it comes to the Catholic vote is people who go to Mass every week or more than every week and people who don't, people who just really are not practicing even the most basic parts of the faith. And that's not to say they don't identify in a, a real way with their Catholicism, maybe having been raised that way. But the faith, this faith outreach team that Biden's putting together is specifically talking about targeting religious conservatives. And so while you might find a Catholic who usually votes Democrat and doesn't uh, go to mass on Sundays, that's not a religious conservative. He's Some very large percentage of Catholics will vote for Biden, probably more Catholics than voted for Trump, um, Hillary rather in, in 2016. Uh, but you're not going to be winning over religious conservatives who are Catholic. That's just not, that's a camp that very reluctantly did support Trump and supported him in higher numbers than they had supported Republicans in the past. And I think that's because of Hillary and how she was a really big threat to things that more conservative Catholics care about. And so I, I really don't know, again, why this team thinks that that's a demographic that Biden has a shot with. Yeah, I mean, my gut reaction to this is is probably threefold. The first is what we've talked about here that's probably not going to accomplish very much. On, on another hand, uh, it, it, it I guess it goes back to the old adage of try to get every vote you can. So reaching out to everyone can't necessarily hurt. But it does surprise me a little bit because he's been tacking so hard left on everything. It's like his number one goal is not to reach the middle. It's to shore up the Bernie vote. And so to add this on top of that seems like a contradiction in terms. Right. I mean, there is a sense in which probably a lot of people who are pretty far to the left of Biden just hate Trump so much they'll show up anyway. But again, those sort of people who back Trump maybe reluctantly because they're frightened of what the left will do on social issues, just not going to be a Biden voter. We will keep watching. Uh, A lot of polls to come and obviously the poll that counts will come in November. But uh, Alexandra, great to have you back with us and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Yep. Great to be with you, Greg. Alexander DeSanctis of National Review in for Jim Garrity today. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks very much for being with us. Please remember our sponsor, CarShield, for as low as $99 a month. You can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands. 800-CAR-6000 and mention the code Martini or visit carshield.com and use the code Martini to save 10%. Deductible may apply. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Leave us a kind review with five stars. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And please join us again Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.